This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Looks like we're heading to Smallville. It's episode 460 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. There's actually a ton of great interviews on this week's show. Willie Parks is going to join me to talk about playing John Henry Irons on Superman and Lois, especially big season for him, so I can't wait to dive into that. Most Dangerous Game New York is streaming on Roku Channel right now for free, so I've got Dan Castaneda, who you know is Diego Hargraves from the Umbrella Academy. He's the star of the show. I also have the showrunner, Nick Santoro with me this week, and if that wasn't enough, Disney Channel has a fun new animated series called Kiff that's premiering today, so I have story editor and co-producer Ken Osborne with me to learn all about that as well. Plus, I've got some epic rants coming up in nerd news this week. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to save my energy here because it's going to be just off the charts intense talking about Mark Guggenheim's comments regarding the Arrowverse, some Star Wars news. There's a lot coming up, so let's get right to it. Let's talk to Will A. Parks about Superman and Lois next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Brett Bassinger from DC Stargirl, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You know I'm excited about Superman and Lois returning this coming week on the CW. March the 14th is the big day, and this guy, of course, going to be a big part of the new season. Will A. Parks, John Henry Irons himself. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How you doing? Oh, man, feeling really, really good, especially excited for this season, too. So John Henry and Nat, they're kind of slowly they've slowly built their lives in Smallville. As this season starts, do you kind of feel like they finally feel like members of this community? I, I think they do. At least I hope so. I, you know, what I think that's the whole idea is like we last season was about, OK, trying to figure things out, trying to reconcile the idea of where they came from with where they are now. We've accepted that, you know, Superman's good on this world. Lois exists. She's not the Lois we know, but like, you know, she's, she's, she's there. So now it's like, okay, now what do we do? How do we have lives now going forward? And I think that's going to be an interesting thing about for us this season, like our relationship, relationships with other people. I'll tell you this, that uh, he's a single dad and she's a teenager and she ain't going to listen. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> 
I was actually going to ask you about that next because I was, you know, does this mean if you're being more comfortable, does this mean we're going to see John Henry being more of like the dad this season, doing normal dad things, being worried about his daughter? You do. And that's the funny part. Actually, to be honest, it was kind of weird shooting some of those scenes because like I'm so used to like, you know, it being like intense and like, you know, we got to do this. We got to stop Superman. We got to fight this villain. And then it's just like, OK, you got to be a dad. You got to have this talk. She's not listening. Those kind of things. So it's funny. You get to see the whole gamut. So a little bit more comedy with John Henry this time, but also a little bit more intensity. And I mean, maybe start dating. Would that be something that uh, how's he going to deal with that? I, I, you know, that's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's, I know it's such a cliche. It's like, it's like, you know, the daughter starts dating. So how does the father react to it? I'm going to say if she ends up dating somebody, it'll be, I, I would be curious to see how John Henry handles anything because I think the interesting thing about him is, you know, and his lowest obstacle, like we said, has passed away. So he's never been a single dad before. Right. In my mind, the way I interpret it is that she was the one who would take care of all those things. You know, like Nat could go to her for that kind of advice and whatnot. So he's not that, like, he loves her. He, he cares about her deeply, but he doesn't know how to handle those things on his own. So it's to see him juggle those, those, uh, you know, going forward, it's going to be going to be interesting. Girl dad life can be tough for sure. So I, so oh, that's, yeah. I, I, I totally get that. So I feel like we've been waiting to find out more about John Henry of the current timeline that you're in right now too is, is that something we could finally start exploring this season oh 100 especially you know uh, like uh hopefully the fans know already uh at the end of season two it was teased that bruno manheim's going to play a big role and he's the guy who killed the john henry of this earth so we're going to get into a ton of that stuff we're going to get into a lot of his backstory this john henry my john henry's going to learn about him as well learn about other people and i'll tell you as a tease that's going to really kick off in episode four. Episode four is where we really start getting a heavy John Henry stuff. And it's going to get intense pretty quickly. We'll say that. It's funny because you just keep leading me into the next thing that I'm going to ask you about. I want to talk about Bruno Mannheim. As a matter of fact, no spoilers, like you said. But yeah. how is Bruno Mannheim different from some of the other villains that we've seen so far in the show? And talk about Chad Coleman, what he brings to the role. Because, I, I mean, he's incredible. Oh, yeah, no, I love Chad. Like, Chad and I actually met doing a show called All American a couple years ago. So so I just I, I just like Chad's energy in general because Chad Chad's very cerebral. You're going to, like, you ask him a question, then you're going to get, like, this long answer that kind of goes all over the place. But it, it makes sense. Oh, I sense, know. Trust me. Much, <laughs> oh, you broke his head. So, yes. Get, you get, you get so that's the thing. He brings this sort of gravitas to this. Like, uh, unlike, you know, the other villains we had, you know, we had um, Ali Alston last year and then obviously me and Talro or whatever, but really more Talro in season one. Like, you have these superpowered villains. Bruno doesn't have any powers. Bruno is a man who is on a mission and he has passion, he has dedication. And that's the thing, like that can be really dangerous. I mean, there, there's a reason that he's become the head of Intergang. There's a reason that they're all lead, they're all following his lead. So you're going to see him get kind of ruthless. You're going to see how he came to power. Uh, and it's going to be an interesting season. There's a whole lot of dangerous that's coming for sure. And, and fans will see that coming up on full display. 100%. I do yeah, want to yeah. talk about something else, though, because as I was watching the trailer, when I talked about the first trailer, when it came out, it says I said to myself, it seems like this is going to be a difficult season for Lois. I don't know why, but it just I feel that in my bones. And even though, like you said, John Henry's, you know, he's kind of moved on. He's realized that this isn't his Lois yeah. and things like that. Talk about how emotional this story is going to be for basically everyone and for John, because that connection still has to kind of be there. It does. And that's the thing. You're right. This is going to be an interesting season. I think, you know. One thing I'm really praising, I, in general, I praise like Todd Helping, our, our, our first showrunner, and Brent Fletcher, who's now joined him, their co-showrunners. The fact that he's trying to really ground the show. His, his, his tagline is sort of like, how do you take a man that fly and ground him? And so that's why it's always been about family. It's been like, you know, that's something that we can all understand as people. Like, I can't relate to somebody who can like jump over a building and like, you know, literally mm -hmm. like pick up bridges and all that. that 
I don't know what that's like, but you can understand the idea of love and caring about people and all those things. So that's what I think the show does really, really well. And you're going to see that this season. I think they're taken into an area which I don't think many superhero shows have gone before. And, and I really think that, and I hope that people in audiences connect with it. I think it's a storyline that, you know, a lot of people have gone through and and hopefully they'll they'll understand what we're trying to do with it. But we'll see. Uh, I, you know, I just, I just hope, we have, like I said, our fans have been amazing and, and hopefully they stay along for the ride and they find out. Very well put. We're talking to Malay Parks, who of course is playing John Henry Irons as usual on season three of Superman and Lois, which is going to come back on March the 14th on the CW. Now, well, I, we've gotten to see John Henry in full hero mode, but he's also had to kind of balance that with getting used to the whole new world, like you said, whole new way of life. Do you think yes. he's still finding his footing as a hero? Oh, as a hero. I, 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 that's interesting. I, I don't think he's finding his footing as a hero because I think for him it's about selflessness. Like, you know, and that's how what anyone, I think, you know, could connect to. I, I, it's interesting. When I first got cast, you know, I didn't know I was John Henry Irons. There were dummy sides, you know, like they said something sure. generic name, you know, Brad Smith or whatever. But I, the way I read it, I, I, I could tell it was sort of like a Lex Luthor kind of thing. And that's why, you know, he was Captain Luthor in the beginning. So I came at that from that aspect, like a very selfish kind of man. Like it's all about him. And then when Todd called me and said, no, you're actually going to be John Henry Irons, I had to flip everything because that's not a selfish character. Right. You know, and, and the whole reasoning behind him of like, you know, like trying to avenge his, you know, the death of his wife and all the, you know, the, the, his earth and trying to protect people here. So I had to flip him from being selfish to selfless. So I think he's already there. That, 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 that the hero is fine, but I think his journey is just going to be sort of truly letting go and being able to move on because he's he's realized this is he's accepted that this is his new reality and the superman is is good this is what lois is different lois or whatever but i don't think he's fully accepted his past and what happened to it i think there's a little bit of trauma there i think he still blames himself in some ways and i think we're gonna see him this year really kind of struggle with that and hopefully gets to the other side and, and can really truly just immerse himself in the world and just have a new life so do you feel like it maybe it's more about acceptance rather than atonement at this point? Yes, that's what I feel like. I, I have to be because like it, it, he tried to atone and that didn't work because Superman's alive. So then yeah. what, what do you do? You know, so so you have to like if that was his whole mission and suddenly you take it away, that's your life's purpose. And suddenly it's like, OK, your life's purpose is gone. What do you do? And yeah. at some point, I, you know, I believe you just have to accept the past as a way to move forward. So, yeah, that's going to be his big journey. He's he's it's a different level this year and, and it's going to be cool to see where, where it goes. Well, I can't wait to get your reaction to this one, because we've seen that, of course, you said he's, you know, he's sort of moved on from Lois. He's made his peace with that. But yes. could we see John Henry maybe start to find a different love interest maybe this season? I, you know, I would love it just to like have him do something. Look, you know, like, there's only but so many people I can like fight and be intense about. You know what yeah, I mean? That is like, very I, true. <laughs> you know, there's always there's always gonna be a villain. There's always that. I, I promise you, we got a lot of John Henry action, like a lot. This season actually gonna be kind of crazy. But yeah, it'll be nice to see that kind of side, like a domesticated side. You know what I mean? Like like kind of. I really want to tap into what was John Henry like before he went through all the trauma. You know, who yeah. was this guy at his core? And I think we're gonna start seeing more of that come out come to the surface as the season progresses and yeah it's, it's gonna be nice all right we'll have to wait and see for that one so i've seen in some interviews that you've done where you talk about how well you get along with the cast and how much everybody gets along and how much you enjoy working with one another do you have a favorite story that you could share with us from when the cameras weren't rolling someone that just something that just oh. really sticks out in your mind 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> this is okay. This is, it's not a favorite, just like a recent one. This is, this is just so that's dumb. good too. Hey, the, that uh, works for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just uh, cause over the weekend, cause like, you know, we're, fi- we're filming the finale right now. So we're winding down. And uh, so we did a little cast thing at, at Tyler's place, just like, you know, like as the last weekend, last hurrah. And we decided, I don't know who introduced this, but there's something like a hot chip challenge. It's something like Pequot. There's I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It comes in like individually wrapped in foil. And then in a box coffin, that should be enough warning not to do it. <laughs> but we're—I'm not the brightest, apparently, because I, along with a bunch of people from the show, and uh, uh, you know, we decided like, oh, we're gonna like let's try this together, and it didn't go well. Uh, I mean, went as well as expected in, in so far as if you eat something that says this is dangerous and you shouldn't eat it if you have a heart condition. It's probably not going to be good. So, so we were over there just together, acting the fool, and, and, and like we do it all together, and and, and we started. And like at first we're like, oh, it's fine. Everything's this is easy. Then me, like the idiot, I'm like, oh, let me take another piece because like, oh, oh no, I got this. man, I know, I know. And Sophia <laughs> follows me, and and so and so we're out. <laughs> like it kicks in, and then it's just all of us just going around, just being like, oh my god, oh my god. Oh my God. And of course, it's only the fools. It's like me, Tyler, Sophia, a guy on our crew named Birdie and David, so of, of Bitsy's husband. Bitsy and M, Emmanuel, have nothing to do with it. They just, they're, they're, I'm like, do you want to join? And they're like, no, you're idiots. So uh, I know they're smart. smart. Women tend to be smarter. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah. So it was, uh, it was it's things like that. That's, again, you're right. Like, that's to me what makes it fun because, you know, you're shooting for 14 hour plus days every day. And, and you know, it's tiring. And like the weather up here is like, you know, brutal sometimes. So to have that kind of camaraderie and that fun, it, it's really good. That's incredible, man. I love that story. I really hope there's video of this somewhere that is going to get released at some point. I was going to say, there is video. I, I, I will see if it gets out because it's, I look kind of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll tag you then if that's the case. Yes. <laughs> so you, you, as your character starts to evolve, obviously, as you become more of a member of the community, is there anyone that you haven't gotten ahead of a lot of scenes with up to this point that you're going to get to work with a little bit more this season? I will say my dream, because she's my work wife, is Sophia. Sophia has me. Uh, uh, you know, like, like we just because we always joke about we hang out the most, and, and but we don't actually interact. You know, like... I, We'll see if it happens more this season. I, I I think the good part about what we ended last season is that a lot of people now know are in on the secret. Because, you know, sometimes it feels like there's a superhero side then there's another show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because not everybody knows. So because more people are involved, we start getting a little more interaction with other people in the cast. So so it's cool. Yes, but I would love more scenes with Sophia because I just love Sophia. We're great. Before I let you go, there's a lot of changes going on in D.C. right now and CW in general, you know, with James Gunn and Peter Safran coming in. What are your hopes for this show and for John Henry beyond this season? I mean, at this point, look, I I know as much as everyone else. You know, no one knows. We we it's all sort of you know up in the air because you're right. There are so many changes going on and in a, in a grand scale. I mean, like James Gunn already laid out his um ten year plan. So my hope is like, yeah, I would love to get another season or two in at least because I I would like us to end. I'd like us to know ahead of time so that we can really craft a good finale. And like I said, we don't know. So, so, so I, I, I think if we got a heads up, I would love that. I think that'd be good for the storyline for the fans. And look, yeah, what I love, I mean, yeah, what I love, like a John Henry theoretical spinoff. Yeah, I'm not gonna be like, oh, uh, please don't give yes. me a steel spinoff. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. 
I'm not stupid. Uh, uh, <laughs> do I think that's going to happen? No, realistically, I'm, I'm a realist about this stuff. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm just, I've just been glad to be on the journey at all. It's just been really cool to just play superheroes and get to talk to people like you who are wearing a Superman shirt, which by the way, I notice. And that's thank right. you so much. <laughs> <laughs> got to represent the brand, got to rep the brand yeah. and make sure that we're all watching when season three of Superman and Lois premieres on March the 14th on the CW. Remember you watch it again though, the next day on the CW app, you got to do it twice. Yeah. That that's yeah. that's one of the ways you can help the show for sure. And just this guy's got an amazing journey coming up this season. Well, A. Parks, thank you so much, man, for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me, James. Let me tell you, there's so many reasons why this show has been just so stellar from the very beginning, not just because of all the things that he talked about with how they're trying to ground the show, which they've already done and they make it so family oriented, but also bring those big hero moments as well. It's the fact that it seems like every character has their own spot where they've been given the ability to shine. And John Henry Irons, his journey from the first season to now, I think has been so incredible. And to hear how passionate Wille is about it and just how much fun that they're having on the show, it gives you that energy of really wanting to watch the show even more. I already wanted to watch the show the second it airs on the CW. Now I really want to make sure that I do that. And of course, like I said, Superman Lois returning March the 14th on the CW the day, the day after on the CW app. Appointment viewing, I hate that term usually. This show is. Appointment viewing, make sure you're watching it live every week because the spoilers are going to be everywhere if you don't. I can almost guarantee you that. Again, thanks to Will A. Parks for joining me to talk about this season of Superman and Lois. Up next, going to shift gears and talk about another show that started today. Most Dangerous Game in New York is on the Roku channel, and I'll talk to Dan Castaneda, who plays, who is the star of the show, and showrunner Nick Santoro. Talk to them next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Drew Powell from Gotham. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The hunt is on all across New York. Most Dangerous Game in New York now streaming for free on the Roku channel, and it's really fun and intense and quick action show. And I got a chance to talk to the showrunner and the star of the show, Nick Santora and Dan Castaneda. I actually want to start with Nick Santora because the showrunner always has amazing insight into the show. So here's my conversation with him. Nick, how you doing, man? I'm very, I'm very good, James. How are you? Doing great. And how thrilled were you actually to get a second season from the Roku channel for the show? Listen, any right. Any writer's favorite words are second season or, <laughs> or, or pick up or renewed. Those are, those are our, of all the words we use, those are our favorite words. So yeah, I was super happy and super excited. I mean, you, you have a mostly new cast this season as well, but how did you kind of decide which characters would return and, and who wouldn't, or did the story just kind of dictate that? Well, the, the biggest factor is most of our characters get killed. So <laughs> well, they, then there's that. Yeah, <laughs> so they, can't, they can't come back. But listen, you know, if you have Christoph Waltz wanting to do anything that you're doing, you bring the character back, period, because he's as good as it gets. And then there are other characters and I don't want to give away too much, but there are characters in season one that really popped and that fans of the show really enjoyed. So you go, listen, if the fans are really enjoying that character, you know, let's bring him or her back and, and, and see how it goes. And it always goes well, because these actors are so great. Mm -hmm. And that's, and then just wherever your creative muse kind of takes you, where you said, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's bring this one in or let's create someone new. And, and you just kind of go from there. I actually kind of want to jump to that and talk about Christoph Waltz for a second, because he, you know, he's back as Miles Sellers, the game manager. So, I mean, what's it like to work with him in a role like that? Because it just seemed like he was just, he was made to play that character. I know. I, I, honestly, I was just telling somebody, and and this isn't 
hyperbole, I still have trouble believing I get to work with Christoph Waltz. He's as good as it gets. He's incredibly professional and incredibly nice. He is insanely humble for as talented as he is, for all that he's achieved, uncomfortably humble, where I, I almost, I'm like, you know, you can, you can tell everyone you've won a bunch of Oscars. <laughs> you can puff your chest out a little bit. Yeah, it's okay. We know. Kristoff, <laughs> you can go strut. And he doesn't strut. He shows up. He's a pro. He knows his lines. He hits his mark. And then he gives you something that is so much better than what you wrote. He just elevates it every time. And so, yeah, it's, it's surreal. It's he's, he's up there. I've been doing this 23 years now. I've been doing this a long time and he's up there with the, Oh, wait a minute. Is this really happening group of people that I get to work with? And, and so it's, it's wonderful. It really is. I can only imagine. So one of your new characters is your runner. You get Victor Suero this season. So what would you say is it about Victor that kind of makes him so easy to root for? Well, first of all, David, he's just such a great actor and he just makes this guy come alive. You can tell when you're working with actors who really care. And he and I had some really nice conversations about the character where you can tell when actors ask questions and the, what's really underneath the question is, is I want more lines or I want fewer lines because I can't remember all of this. <laughs> and, <laughs> you just and, let the secret out. Right yeah, There it is. <laughs> yeah. But with David, it was all the questions were, I want to do the best job I can. And that's all he cared about. And as for Victor, the character, Victor is a character who just is the ultimate underdog. I love underdogs. I just love underdog stories. And his character loves his sister. His character is struggling. He promised he would always take care of his sister. And now he has to do something and agree to do something quite dangerous to take care of his sister. And so you, how can you not root for that guy? No doubt about that. So when you've got somebody like David in a role like that, though, you know his background in, in, in being able to do amazing action sequences and stuff like that. How, how did that make things easier to kind of put a show like this together when you know you've got somebody like David that has that skill set? Well, you don't have to worry about it. You know, there's so many things to worry about when you're running a show from, are we going to make budget? Are we going to get the actors we want? Is it going to rain tomorrow and ruin the scene? I mean, did we lose a location because the owner of the location forgot she double booked it and there's something <laughs> else going on? You know, there's so much to worry about. And then you have someone like David who is physical, who is athletic, who is a real worker who prepares. And you just take that thing you're, that you could have worried about. Can he make the boxing sequences look real? And you put it on a shelf in your don't worry about it pile. And it's just one thing you can take off. And, and you just take a few things off of that scale and it lifts the weight. It lifts the weight. It's the same thing of working with someone like Kristoff. You don't have to worry. Oh, is this, is this guy going to be able to give a good performance? <laughs> you take that and you put it on the shelf. So yeah, with David and his physicality and his history of being successful as a physical actor, doing some of the stuff he does in Umbrella Academy and everything, it just it just lightens your load a little bit. We see from the trailer you've got, you know, there's hunters from many different skill sets. So as you're kind of writing these episodes and putting the season together, do you also consider Victor's background and what challenges each hunter is going to present for him when you're going into these scenes? Or do you just kind of go with the flow of the story and see what happens? No, you think like Victor's character, and I don't want to give too much away, but it's this isn't a big deal. You know, he's a he's a boxer and he's had some damage to one of his eyes. He doesn't see so well out of that eye now. So when you're coming up with, you know, one of the fun things of the show is each hunter has their own weapon. And one of the hunters has a weapon called a uh, whip chain. And it's kind of like Indiana Jones's whip. 
if it's covered in barbed wire and uh -huh. razor blades and little mini axes and stuff like that. So you start thinking about, well, if that's coming at you from the side that you don't see well out of that eye, how do you defend against that? So you do start trying to think of things along those lines. And then sometimes you just go, oh, this is a really cool weapon because every hunter is allowed to have their own weapon. This is really cool. Let's go with this one and I'll figure out what happens. And then as you write it, you figure out what happens. But yeah, that's the fun part is trying to uh, figure out how all of the hunters will have their own unique personality that comes from where they are, what type of hunter are they? Are they hunting for themselves? Are they a proxy hunter where they've been hired by somebody to hunt for them? What are their weapons? What, what is their character? Do they have integrity? Do they follow the rules of the game? Do they try to skirt the rules of the game? We have one hunter who is a stickler for the rules, and I just mm -hmm. love that guy. I, I love, love that guy too. He's the best. The best. That's Chris Webster playing that character, and he's... Man, he's another one of those actors where you just go, they're, they're on another level. You guys have no idea the gold he just gave you about this season and, and without giving away anything either. So I will point that out as well. I want to actually kind of dig into one of the carryover stories you have is, is we've got Miles and we've got the board and, you know, maybe he's in a little bit of hot water with the board at this point. How much can you kind of tease for us about the relationship with Miles and the board? Yeah, well, in in season one, Miles is the big bad boss and we give a hint that there might be an Oz behind the curtain, but not really. And in season two, we see, oh, he's got bosses and he's got some serious bosses. And then there's one head boss that really kind of oversees all the other bosses. And that's a bad mamma jamma. And you got to mm -hmm. go with that person. And he's feeling the pressure. I like seeing someone who's in charge of everything feel the heat. That's because I never get to be in charge of everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and so he he feels the heat and so that was fun to explore because then you also get to see Kristoff play different he gets to play I'm the boss I'm the boss and then all of a sudden he's a little bit of a beta in some mm -hmm. areas but Kristoff Waltz always rises to the top no doubt about that so we've kind of seen similar stories like this and they usually take place on like remote islands or other such locations how does kind of holding something like this hunt this hunt in New York City just to enhance the story because I think it really does Thanks. Look, I'm going to be completely honest and, and I'll be completely honest. It's easier for me to write. If we, instead of, instead of most dangerous game, New York, it was most dangerous game, Gallup, New Mexico, <laughs> you would, and, and nothing against Gallup. I've been there. It's lovely, but it's smaller. It's harder to hide. So when you're in Detroit season one, when you're in New York season two, in New York, I even expanded it where it's, it was Manhattan. It was the Bronx. It was Brooklyn, Staten Island. Mm -hmm, Queens. Yep and Long Island. So we got a real big ge ge geographical changes by the end of season two. We're in an area that lo looks nothing like New York City. And that just makes it easier for me, James. To be honest, it's a bit of a cheat because it allows me to expand the storytelling. Well, what do you guys always say? Write what you know, right? Isn't I'm that from, the thing? Yeah, I'm from New York. I, I know how to get lost in New York. <laughs> you know how to get lost way out there, too. I can't believe that last episode where you guys went. That's just that's just crazy. You'll, yeah, you'll know I, when you... If you I, know, I, you know. I've been out there. It's the, the tip of the, it's the, well, not the tip of the world, but it's the, uh, it's the end of the world for that area geographically. And it's, it's lovely. No question about that. Really quickly, Nick, before I let you go, obviously we don't want to spoil anything here, but are you hoping for a season three? Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> absolutely. Roku, please. I'm hoping for a season three. And the way I will be able to get a season three is if lots and lots of people watch it on Friday on Roku, and then the numbers will be great. And then hopefully they'll ask me for a season three and I'd be happy to write it. 
And what's great is it's a quick binge, too, if you want to watch it. Most Dangerous Game New York premieres on the Roku channel for free, by the way, on March the 10th. That is a Friday, so it's a great weekend binge for you and see what this guy's got cooking up. Nick Santori, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, James. Have a great day. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Talking about most dangerous game in New York this week on the Down and Nerdy podcast, which he said was streaming right now on the Roku channel. Time to hear from the star of the show, the guy that plays Victor Suero himself, David Castaneda. David, what's up, man? How you doing? Um, I'm good, James. How, how are you doing? But, you know, we're talking about Most Dangerous Game, New York host on the Roku channel coming up on Friday, March the 10th. What, when you first started, you know, getting into the series, what was your first impression of the series as a whole? I mean, A, Christoph Waltz. That was the first thing. I was like, I mean, I can't believe that he's coming back for another season. And the fact that I was able to, you know, kind of come in and put my own spin on it. I mean, and working with Nick Santoro, I mean, it's kind of, uh, I mean, it's, it's a great team. I was just excited. I was excited the first day. It was exciting when I first met Christoph. I was very nervous. Shook his hand like a man. A little shaky. Of course. But uh, it was quite a ride. What kind of a vibe does a guy like Christoph bring to that? I mean, I know you don't, didn't have, guys didn't have a ton of scenes like together. But what kind of a vibe does he bring as like your opposite in a show like this? Massively respectful. Sort of like a light in the sea where you're just kind of looking at them. And you'd be like, while he's on screen, I don't have to do anything because this man carries every scene. And I'm like, I'm fine with that, you know? And so there was a lot of sort of just kind of deferring to Christoph. I'm like, what do you think? Or just letting him do something. I'm, I'm just going to listen. And selfishly, I'm going to learn also. I'm going to see what I can, what I can learn from, from this maestro. Smart move, my friend. Smart move indeed. So you're playing Victor Suero in the series, the new, the new runner for this upcoming season. So as you got to know Victor a little bit better, what was your favorite thing about him? I loved his outlook in life. That was something that I feel was very relatable even to my own family, which is the ability to uh, not be influenced by money, but more so by family, by trying to make sure that the family is the most important aspect and it's the purpose of what drives him to do everything. And so... I, I, you know, I, I've seen, you know, some of the some of the action films that I've seen that are driven by by love rather than revenge, or by one's own need to just get rich. I've connected to the ones that have just deeper purpose, like when I seen like Taken, you know, with Liam Neeson, or mm-hmm. like goes and saves his daughter, or like I don't know, even like John Wick, where like the dog had a reference to the wife, you know, and and yeah. I feel like. Once you get involved in those areas, I think you have a chance to have to having a solid protagonist that you can root for. And that's definitely that describes Victor very well, because I feel like I was rooting for him this entire time for more reasons than one, of course. But oh, okay. you, you mentioned family, and that is a really big part of it. That's the reason he enters the game 
in the first place. How much can you tell us about the bond between Victor and his sister? There was a, a, a big accident that they had gone through, you know, 10, 10 15 years prior where the, the parents were, were died in a, in a fire. And so, you know, they're sort of, even though they're brother and sister, it's more of a father-daughter relationship. You know, he really does see her as his responsibility and, and someone that who he needs to sort of uplift to make sure that the spirits of his parents carry through him in order to service the sister. And so it had to be very genuine. I, I, I feel like I had to bring a lot of my own, you know, my own experiences as an older brother in my life to be able to just make it sincere and to not feel... Um, you know, sort of generic or or sort of by the numbers, you know, I like even like the small little dance and, and the scene with the music, you know, that was something that I was like, I think there needs to be some sort of some, something that, that speaks more than just saying how much we love each other. But let's how can we show that that thankfully they let me do it. They let me they let me do that, that dance. And I was like, great. That was a quick scene, but a very good scene. And you're no stranger to dancing. That's for sure. So that's that I'm sure that had to be a little bit easy. <laughs> Speaking of things you're very familiar with, obviously your combat skills on full display, we've seen that as Diego Hargreaves and the Umbrella Academy, some of the other stuff as well. So how much of that experience were you kind of able to bring into this role for this? Because this is a very unique kind of action, I feel like, in this role. Yeah, I could carry a lot of the experience I had. And there also was a balance of making sure that he didn't, he wasn't too good at the things. There were, that a lot of the fights were more practical rather than flashy, mm-hmm. you know, because he obviously, if he was too good at winning these fights, then you could sort of ask yourself, well, why isn't he a world heavyweight champion right, right now? Why isn't he making millions of dollars holding, you know, titles and stuff? It's like, no, this is more of an everyday man who just happens to be very skilled at martial arts. So there was a lot to, to think about. It. Like, can't be too buff and can't be too cut, but also can't be too lazy. So how do we find the practical uh, physicality of this character? Victor has a bit of an impairment. And that's one of the reasons that, 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 again, he wasn't able to succeed as a boxer. Did you kind of go into that, like in the back of your mind, as you're doing these scenes, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this, but I've got to remember that this guy has this particular impairment. Did you have to factor that in? I mean, how hard was that? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it wasn't that it was hard. It was just, it was, I just had to remind myself that like, you know, when we were doing scenes, it was like, Hey, I'm, you know, this is going to happen. I'm like, I can't see, you know, <laughs> yeah. you expect me to, to react to this moment, we can't be sitting in this position or we, so there was elements of like being trying to like honor that one thing, which was his impairment. And I, and I feel like, yeah, I mean, if he, if he did have two good eyes, would he be a better fighter? I, I obviously he would, but I, I do, I do like to hope that his own skill was his heart. Mm-hmm. That was, the, that was the bigger skill of his and, uh, and being able to maneuver around these assassins with ingenuity rather than with, you know, with just two eyeballs, you know, or one eyeball. He, he definitely does that for sure, too. Now, let's talk about those assassins for a minute, because the Hunters the Victor faces off against are some very unique fighters for sure. And, and the, there's weapons, as a matter of fact, some of them are really quite odd. So was there a particular showdown that you enjoyed, uh, enjoyed filming the most? Or was there a hunter that you really enjoyed working with in this upcoming season that you can talk about? I mean, I think all of them were, were, were phenomenal and like they were, you know, lovely and, and they had, you know, a lot to bring to the, to the character, you know, the actors in, in general. I think one of the hardest and most rewarding ones was the, the tank, 
the mm-hmm. tank where, we, where I go in there with Nixon and uh, we have this this fight and it was just the ball because it was we didn't use any stunts so it was just him and I Mr. Webster and who's phenomenal I really enjoyed working with him yeah that to me was sort of the one that was because ext- it was wet and you were just sloppy and it was cold and trying to stay warm and you know and just trying to make sure he doesn't poke you with that thing yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that did not look like fun. <laughs> no, I mean, but it was worth it. It was worth it. No doubt about it, man. So one of the things that I really love about Victor, and you kind of touched on this too, is we see him improvise a lot, you know, as far as like finding things to help him or creating unique situations to sort of get out of a jam. So do you kind of feel like that kind of made it more true to life? You know, like somebody's watching this and saying, you, you better grab that thing because you got nothing here. So you're just grabbing what you can. Did it kind of feel real in the moment to you? Yeah, I mean, there was there was moments where, you know, especially like, for example, him getting trapped in the closet and trying to figure out how to open open those things up. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it sort of, to me at least, it grounded the scenario because it wasn't just by the numbers. It wasn't like, oh, it's, you know, fight, 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 run, fight. fight. It was very much like, oh, he got stuck here. Oh, he tripped out. He's, he, he needs a bottle, you know, get that bottle of, you know, and, and that bottle in itself causes the noise in the stadium. And, and so, you know, Nick was really great at like adding these little pieces in each scene that would sort of link to the next one, like the the syringe, uh, which I don't know if I'm allowed to speak about. <laughs> so. so, David, I know that New York City can sometimes be its own character in, in so many things over the years. Do you kind of feel like having Victor trying to survive this particular game in New York, as opposed to some like remote location or something like that, really kind of took things up another level? Yeah, I mean, I would hope so. New York has its own character. It's, you know, it has its own history. And I feel like I love New York. Like, to me, New York is one of those places that, like, as as growing up in, in, in California, I'm like, man, I wish I could just live in New York once. So, and, and, it's, and, and you go there for the experience of feeling like you're being chased by a train. You know, that's sort of like, I think when I talk to people about New York, it sort of feels like you just have to move. You know, there's a hustle and there's a drive in, in, in that city. So I, it just fit perfectly to put a runner in there and trying to make, that's trying to survive and win $24 million. And you got to deal with everything around you too. It's not just, you know, it, there's, it's the people, it's everything. Well, I don't care. So I won't spoil anything, but there's plenty, there's plenty going on around you. Yes, yes, yes. I don't want to spoil it either. So speaking of no spoilers, I just got to get your reaction. How surprised were you by that final episode and how surprised do you think fans are going to be by that ending? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's funny, like you, everyone's going to interpret it in their own way. And, and I feel like the most important thing is like that they feel like they weren't cheated at the end. And that, and because I, I feel like sometimes you can really enjoy the journey. And at the end, sometimes, you know, creatives, they try to be too, too smart, too witty, too. Mm-hmm. They try to sort of play a joke on the audience, and which I think it's great also. I, I just feel like at times, some people really want the reward at the end. Wait till you see this wild ride because it definitely is one most dangerous game. New York premieres on the Roku channel for free on March the 10th. You've got to see it and you got to, you're going to be rooting this guy on from start to finish. David Castaneda. Thank you so much, man, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, uh, thank you so much, James. I really appreciate it. And this is one of those shows where you're not only you rooting for the main character, there's just so many interesting villains that get introduced. And this is such a quick binge because it has these quick, like 10 to 12 minute episodes. And it makes it really easy for you to go, okay, one more. Okay, one more. Okay, one more. But they fit so much 
into those episodes without rushing anything. And you just kind of get caught up in the story. And before you know it, you're almost already at the end. So make sure you're watching Most Dangerous Game New York streaming right now on the Roku channel for free. Because, yeah, we're going to need a season three of this thing, especially when you see the ending. We have to get a season three. Again, thanks to Nick and David for joining me to talk about Most Dangerous Game New York. Up next, we're going to switch gears, go to Disney Channel, talk about the animated series new show, Kiff, that's premiering today also. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Ray Chase, the voice of Noctis in Final Fantasy XV, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This Friday, Disney Channel's got a really cool new show called Kiff. I think it's got so many characters, so many stories that you're really going to enjoy, and this guy was right in there and putting everything all together. He's co-producer and he was story editor on the series. Ken Osborne. Ken, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Now that the world's about to meet Kiff and, and all of Kiff's friends, for anyone that's just hearing about it though, right now, tell us a little bit about the show. So it's about a, a little girl squirrel named Kiff, and she's enthusiastic and excited to be alive and uh, wants to just do everything. And she's got a best friend named Barry, who's this bunny, who's a little more laid back and he's kind of funny and uh, chill. And yeah, they just they have a bunch of adventures in this kind of world that is filled with animals. There's no humans. Well, there are some sort of humanoid mythological creatures uh, sprinkled in here and there, but no one makes a big deal about that. Yeah, it's set in the world of Tabletown, which is kind of a, a small city, like like the ones we're familiar with on earth. Yeah, they just, they get into kind of fun adventures with the with the people in this town and uh, at school and at home. It's funny you mentioned Tabletown because one of the things you guys do, and it's really subtle at the beginning of every episode, you have like a little, this episode is brought to you by type little thing. What, what came to the idea of putting that together? Because as an adult, I loved that at the beginning of every episode, I was actually waiting to see what you'd come up with next. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think originally we pitched it at just because we wanted... We, we all like kind of making fun of ads and making fun of commercials. Like it's pretty easy. And we thought early on, it was like a, a kind of a nice way to world build and kind of introduce people to different parts of the world, like different local businesses. And yeah, the idea of whatever is being advertised is then in the show somewhere as like a little product placement uh, was very amusing to us. Uh, just, just the idea that all these, you know, local businesses are paying some money to have their ad at the top and then you get to Kip gets to you know use the toothpaste at some point and i just picture these little these mom and pop businesses at home being very like feeling very good watching the episode like oh there's there's my toothpaste yeah it's, it struck it struck me as funny too so now i'm gonna look for it in every in every episode that i get to see so i'm really i'm really digging that you mentioned Kiff's energy, personality, just so fun and optimistic. That's what I love about the character the most, I think. But why was Chemical Glenn so perfect for that role? Because I think that was a great casting for you guys. Yeah, Kamika just has, she has a great voice. And and once you hear her as Kiff, it's hard to really imagine anyone else doing that character. I think right away she um, she was able to sort of deliver these, you know, simple lines, these kind of, but also then put like a little weird spin on there was just like a, a weirdness to her delivery sometimes that's very fun and then she's she's got an incredible voice and we knew we wanted to have music in in the episode so that seemed like a slam dunk and i I'd, I'd, I'd worked on a show previously that she did a really small part on and uh, i always liked her voice a lot so but i think yeah once once she read for it we all it was kind of unanimous everyone really liked her you definitely wasted no time getting the music, that's for sure. And that was really fun in the first episode. But when you're in school, 
one of the most important people in your life is your best friend, of course. So how much do you think fans are going to love that dynamic, that that back and forth between Kiff and Barry? Because I think it's 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 a very interesting dynamic between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. It's, it seems like something that's kind of universally relatable. Uh, you know, it, we we in the writer's room, we talk a lot about things that happened to us when we were kids. And a lot of times it involves like we're all getting to know each other's friends from childhood. And uh, and yeah, I think I think, you know, especially when you're a kid, you just you want that person to have your back and 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 be there for you when you have a problem or you want to help them with their problem. And it just feels good. And, you know, to have someone to navigate through life with. So, yeah, I hope I hope people uh, respond to that. Should be no surprise, though, when we get to see a lot about Kiff's home life, too. So talk a little bit about Kiff's parents and how much fun they add to the story, because I think they really do, especially dad. Yeah, dad is a uh, he's a sort of a he goes he has a lot of different handles. He's he's a entrepreneur. He's an inventor. He's maybe has uh, aspirations of being a dad fluencer like he but he spends a lot of time in the in the uh, garage. That's his office. And he's very creative and he he wants to, I think his dream is to make something, invent something and, you know, get some venture capitalists to give him some money. And he loves popcorn and he loves television. It's it's kind of fun for us to write these stories with him because he's just so funny. And then meanwhile, then Kip's mom, Beryl, is a professor at the local university. And she's a little, I don't want to say smarter, but <laughs> she definitely, I think if Kip you can was, say smarter, it's okay. No, it's, yeah. it's fine. No, it's fine. <laughs> smarter. She's definitely smarter. I think Kip has a harder time lying to her mother than to her father, but yeah. So she's, she's got these two parents that are really fun and they, they, you know, they love each other. They're, they're into each other. They're, they love Kiff. So yeah, it's a nice little happy family. No doubt about it. Talking to Ken Osborne, who's the story editor and co-producer on Kiff, which you can see on Disney Channel on March the, March the 10th, but of course, shortly after that on Disney Plus as well. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Kent, but it seems to me like Kiff's an only child. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to get a little bit deep here because as an only child myself, that's not something I feel like you see a lot these days in animation. Did you all kind of think about that as you were putting these stories together? And maybe give something for the other older older children, only children out there to kind of identify with. Yeah, that's a good point because I, I know a lot of yeah, a lot of shows with like young characters have siblings. Usually that's like a big component of the the family dynamic. When I first met Lucy and Nick, you know, they had they were like the show's Kiff, she's an only child. And I I think that's they had in their mind from the beginning. And I think that's why we kind of have Barry has so many siblings. He has four siblings. So I think there's kind of a nice balance there where Kiff really has a fun time hanging out with Barry because he's like the opposite. He has like more siblings than you can count. But yeah, I have a brother, so I don't know what it's like to be an only child. You know, I think it's like a grass is greener thing. I, I think I was always jealous of kids that were only children when I was. There is advantages and disadvantages. Trust me, because when something breaks in the house, buddy, you got nobody else to point the finger at. I can say that right yeah. now. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, that just especially when I was watching the fourth bath, which is probably one of the best episodes that they sent us. That it really struck me in that episode that that you guys, it seemed like you guys were really trying to like because Kiff had no no spoilers, of course, but Kiff that was a different world for for her. Yeah, at her house she has the the bathroom all to herself whenever she wants it, basically. And yeah, with with a, a family of five kids, like she yeah the concept of like oh each everyone gets their own bath time is so foreign to her she's mm-hmm. and she's kind of fascinated by it but then also the more she learns about it the more sort of uh, scared and disgusted by uh-huh. it she gets. 
I was scared too. I was scared for her. There's no doubt about it. that's <laughs> that episode just has so many levels though. When 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 adults see it, they're gonna I think they'll see what I see as well. I, I gotta say though, I, I look at your cast and I go, you you, you mentioned Tom Kenny, you mentioned Eric Bowser. You get so many wonderful members of this cast. I mean, you literally have SpongeBob and Bugs Bunny in your in your show. Basically, <laughs> yeah. it's just it's crazy the talent that you have in there. Did you guys kind of pinch yourselves like this is a brand new show and you were able to get so many amazing people to work on this show with you guys? Yeah, it's it's really like kids in the candy store. Like we're just when we're casting, we're like, do you think we can get this person? And then the the casting people from Disney are like, well, we can we can ask. And then when they say yes, we're just so excited. We're oh wait, I'm checking my list to make sure I don't give any spoilers. Here's here comes the Oscar speech. <laughs> yes, no, no, make sure no, doesn't uh, forget anybody. <laughs> yeah, Reese Darby. Reese Darby was like a big. We're all huge fans, and yeah, we were determined to have him do a voice so that was like a big deal we were all very nervous when he came in and and some people are people i've worked with before so that's kind of fun to kind of reunite with some some actors that you hadn't seen in a while and i think actors love being on cartoons because they don't have to sit in the makeup chair and they don't mm -hmm. have to you know it's pretty easy i think it, uh, relatively <laughs> to come in and just go hi and then like you're like great that's we'll see you in six months <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just second nature to them at yeah. this point so I love asking writers this question, especially somebody that, of course, like supervised the writer's room like you did. So of all the episodes Disney sent to me, and I was talking to somebody off the air about this, I think Road Trip was my favorite for so many reasons. There's a lot of good ones, but I, I always go back to Road Trip as being my favorite. So did you have a favorite episode this season? You know, we we that was one of the things we did at the when we got to the end. I asked everyone to write down their their really interesting their, their favorite episode. Yeah. And it was it's really, it's really hard to pick one and it's like you don't want to pick one that you were you wrote right, right. it seems like you're but um <laughs> yeah it's we we've been we've all tried to pick a favorite and it's hard it's it's kind of like trying to pick your favorite Beatles song but I do like there's an episode uh called Farley coming up that I think is very sweet and I it sort of has a little heart in it at the end in addition to being funny but that boring road uh, road trip episode was kind of inspired one of our writers Quinn Scott had gone on a road trip when she was a kid and made a face at a biker her, it was wow. either her sister, yeah her sister made a face and the biker laughed and then she made a face and the biker got really intense and she was like what did i do i would have and, never known that was a true story that's so cool that is so yeah. awesome <laughs> that just yeah. that makes me like it even more now that's just to just to know that that's a, that's very cool i mean they're, they're, they're all the ones that i got sent were, were really good just that one stood out to me for some reason Ken, before I let you go, I know that the main goal of this series, any series like this, for kids to love it and become one of those series that's just a part of their childhood that they always go back to. But as a parent, I love watching these shows with my kids, and I like being a part of that experience as well. So how would you sell this show to parents, and why will we enjoy it and love watching it with our kids as well? I, I think parents will enjoy, enjoy it because I, I, I enjoy it. And I'm not a parent, but I definitely, it's not one of those you know, I think there's some kid shows that parents are just like, this. my kid won't stop watching the show and it's driving me crazy. Oh, and no, I can completely <laughs> tell you, yes, that is the case. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I think these shows have really like fun stories that are sort of have some universal truths and universally relatable situations. And there's there are, you know, there are a lot of fun non-children characters. Like there's the principal secretary and Kef's parents and Barry's mom and yeah, and I think when you're a kid, there's like a real fascination with adults. So we we do have a lot of like adults weave themselves into the story, like Kip's trying to help certain adults like figure things out. And but yeah, I, I think I, I I think 
parents are gonna like it a lot i i agree because i am one and i certainly <laughs> enjoyed it too and i can't wait for my kids to start diving into it when kiff premieres this coming friday on march the 10th on disney channel you'll be able to get it shortly after that on disney plus as well but make sure you're watching these things live because you're not going to want to miss them when they come out and this guy was a big part of putting it all together ken osborne story editor and co-producer on kiff thank you so much man for your time i really really appreciate it uh thanks james yeah th thank you that was great and that is the thing about kiff the show has such a fun energy to it but i think like he said it's a really universally relatable show and something that i could absolutely watch i watched this for the first time without my kids i'm interested to see my kids reaction to this when they do watch it and you could do that today on the disney channel you can watch kiff the premiere of that series. And also you can watch it again on Disney plus to be available on there very, very soon. Again, thanks to Ken Osborne for joining me to talk about Kiff this week. Up next, I've got an epic rant to begin nerd news. You're not going to want to miss it next on the down and nerdy podcast. Yeah, brother, this is Josh Segura and you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast. Time to find out who really failed this city it's time for nerd news and i want to backtrack to something that happened earlier this week it was something that mark guggenheim said and if you're not familiar with who mark guggenheim is you probably you know if you're listening to the show you probably know that he's one of the architects of the Arrowverse and spent the better part of let's say the last decade on those shows and you know coming up with all these different stories and just being a part of everything that we loved about the Arrowverse. so i will tell you that about him but he had an interview that was picked up by Entertainment Weekly, where he was kind of talking about, you know, the ambitious nature of the Arrowverse and all of these other things, and that he was kind of surprised that he didn't get a call or meeting with James Gunn and Peter Safran going into the new DC Studios and DC Extended Universe. Now, I do, I'm not going to tell you everything that he said, and I will tell you that he did say he was very grateful for the time he spent in the Arrowverse and the time and, and the things that he made, and he was very proud of how the fans reacted to it and things like that, and I'm paraphrasing. He did also say he spent $10,000 $10, of his own money in putting Crisis together, the big crossover, and, you know, burnt every bridge, made every phone call, all these other things. So fast forward to the end of the interview where he talks about, you know, he just wanted a meeting, a conversation, and a small recognition of what I tried to contribute to the grand tapestry that is the DC Universe. That is a direct quote. Here's another direct quote where he says, simply put, the Arrowverse hasn't led to any other gigs, so it feels, at least on a career level, that I really wasted my time. And to that, I just, I couldn't believe it when I saw that. And I'll tell you why. Now, Mark Guggenham has every right to be upset about not getting a call. I will tell you, I will say that much. In, in, in that, I could see why he feels like he should have at least gotten a call. However, there's a lot about this new DC universe and new direction that feels like they're moving on. Okay, you have to understand that on a career level too, don't you, Mark? That they're moving on from a lot of stuff, not just you. They're moving on from Henry Cavill. They're moving on, seemingly moving on, from Patty Jenkins. They're moving along, along from a lot of different things. Not just you, Mark. So you're not the only one. And I'm not saying that he said he was because he doesn't say that in this quote. But at the same time, even though he might have a right to feel a little bit slighted and feel like he probably should have gotten a call... We they before James Gunn even signed on the dotted line, James Gunn and Peter Safran, didn't it seem like DC was moving on from the Arrowverse? 
Didn't it seem like we were kind of coming to an end anyway? Didn't it seem like they were going to put that in the rearview mirror? And let's also say that, you know, 10 years is a pretty good run. We're not quite at, I actually think we are pretty much at 10 years for the Arrowverse. That's a pretty good run. And maybe those stories have just, you know, run their course. Maybe it's just over. Okay, maybe it just is. And one of the reasons Superman and Lois is going to be able to continue is because they're kind of decided, okay, we're kind of outside of the Arrowverse now. We're going to do our own thing. So maybe just maybe they're just moving on and they're just done with those stories and felt like those stories have been told and it's time to do something else. And maybe the tone that they're going for for some of these characters just doesn't match what Mark Guggenheim and company put together. So not getting a call just means... Maybe they're just going in a different direction. How many times have you heard that when you've gone for a job that you didn't get? Oh, you know, we're just going in a different direction. Or you got let go from a job. And he didn't get let go, per se, Mark Guggenheim. So how many times have you heard that in your everyday life? You know, we're just going in a different direction. And you're probably not happy about it. But it is what it is. And it's out of your control. But the thing I really want to address here is how he said it was kind of a waste of his time. So it didn't lead to any other gigs. That's unfortunate, but is that what you did it for? Because that's what it sounds like you're saying. And I'm not putting words in your mouth. These are your words, Mark. I I don't understand that you thought this was going to lead to something else. And I guess in our professional lives, we kind of hope that the experience that we build up will lead to the next thing. But what were you hoping for exactly? What would have been, what would have made this fulfilling for you career-wise? And the fact that it was a waste of time, was it a waste of time to create all kinds of jobs for writers, crew members, actors, a lot of people that probably needed a break at the time? Was it a waste of time for some of those that are now household names that might not have been before, like Stephen Amell and Grant Gustin? And I could just keep listing names, but I'm not going to. There's a lot of people in this eraverse that are better off than they were before it was it a waste of time to bring all that joy to fans myself included for several different moments in the Arrowverse that were just amazing but you also need to realize too not every moment that mark guggenheim was member of the Arrowverse was it gold i think that as somebody who's been an Arrowverse apologist for years because i love these shows not all of it was gold not all of it was good not all of it was mark guggenheim's fault either But not all of it was good. So we can't just sit here and pretend like Mark Guggenheim did absolutely everything right all the time. And that the fact that he didn't get a call for this is shocking. That it's just jaw-droppingly shocking that he did not get some sort of a reach out from Peter Safran and James Gunn. I don't think we can pick our jaw up off the floor that that didn't happen. They're moving on. It seems pretty clear that they're moving on. And... This really seems like sour grapes times 10 from Mark Guggenheim. So saying that you wasted your time when you previously just said you poured your heart and soul into this and you seemed like you were doing it for the fans. Well, were you doing it for the fans or were you doing it for you? Because you can't say you wasted your time in one breath and before that talk about how grateful you were for your time on the show and how much fans loved it and how much you deeply appreciated that. So which one is it? Is it a waste of time or is it not a waste of time? I just this just really rubbed me the wrong way for somebody that I had respect for Mark Guggenheim and everything that he did. I've spoken to Mark Guggenheim on the show at Comic-Con before. And this just really left me with a sour taste in my mouth. I really wished that 
he j- just didn't feel that way. I understand why he's upset about not being able to tell more of these stories, but you know, nobody owes anybody anything at this point, especially professionally. And that's sometimes you just got to realize that and move on. And he certainly has moved on. He's doing some things with comics now and stuff like that, and telling his own stories. And I, and I hope he does well. It just seems like this is, this is not, this is not a great look for him. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. So John Bernthal going to be back as the Punisher in the MCU. That's right. He's joining Daredevil Born Again. That has been confirmed by Bernthal himself or is broken by the Hollywood Reporter. So, yeah, we're going to get Frank Castle in the Daredevil Born Again series on Disney+. Plus. And But here's the bad news is that it looks like Karen and Foggy are going to be recast for the series. So Deborah Ann Wool and Eldon Henson will not be back. I want to address the first part of this first and that we're getting Frank Castle in Daredevil Born Again. I want you to hedge your expectations here a little bit, okay? Because we were basic, we've been told a billion times already that this Daredevil Born Again series is going to be very different from the Daredevil that you see in Netflix. Let's just make that very clear is that this is not going to be the gritty, dark, R-rated, TV mature rated, whatever you want to call it, version or of Daredevil that you got in that series. So if that's the case, it's certainly not going to be that for Frank Castle, the Punisher, whatever. I don't think that we're going to find out that you know Frank Castle's now given up that life and he's running what used to be Carnegie Deli in New York or something like that. I don't think that's what we're going to find out. I don't think he's operating a delicatessen of some kind. I'm sure he's still Frank Castle at his core. But at the same time, you can yes, you can have a Punisher in the MCU and it does and he doesn't have to be rated R. But if you're jumping into this thinking you're going to get the hardcore Punisher that you got on Netflix, I would say you're sorely mistaken on that. I don't think that Frank Castle that John Bernthal needs to be that hardcore to be great in this role because, I mean, think about it. One batch, two batch, Penny and Dap. Some of that was some of the best stuff he did as Frank Castle, and that was without firing one bullet as the Punisher, okay? So I think that we need to understand that John Bernthal's been great in this role. John Bernthal is a great actor, and he will bring a lot to this show, however big or small his role is going to be in this. And we have no idea how much that's going to be. So I think that it's great that he's joining this show, but I I want fans' excitement to just back up a little bit because you can't be sure exactly what you're going to be getting here. So just ease back on that. I will say I'm very disappointed that Deborah Ann Wool and Eldon Henson aren't going to be back because I thought some of the best chemistry they had was the three of them together in Daredevil. And if there were any two characters you could bring back and easily cast those actors again... It would be those two. Deborah Ann Wool's been very, very vocal about re- wanting to return as Karen Page in any capacity in Daredevil, in any capacity in the in the MCU or in Marvel in general as that character. And the fact that they're not bringing her back, somebody that was very good in the role, that was a fan favorite and that was passionate about it, just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. And Eldon Henson was just incredible as Foggy and the chemistry that he and Charlie Cox had was amazing. So you bring back... Bernthal, you bring back Vincent D'Onofrio, you bring back Charlie Cox, but you don't just keep that going. And you could say, well, you know, we're trying to distance ourselves from that. No, you're not, because you're bringing everybody back. 
you're not really distancing yourselves from those stories. You're selectively distancing yourself is what it seems like right now. So it's it's a bummer that they're not going to be back. Will they cast two actors that are probably going to be very good in those roles? I'm sure they will. I'm sure because Marvel Studios certainly has a history of very good casting. But at the same time, it's just a bummer because it seems like that would have been an easy thing to do since they've already been re- since they've already been bringing people back anyway. What's a couple more? It just just seems like it was weird that they didn't do that. Some more big news that broke this week was a shakeup in the Star Wars universe because Variety reports that here's a couple of pieces of bad news. The Kevin Feige and Patty Jenkins Star Wars movies, they're done. That's not happening anymore. Kevin Feige's Untitled Project and Rogue Squadron from Patty Jenkins, those are, those are officially not happening anymore. Kevin Feige's is more official than Patty Jenkins, but it seems like it's a, it's a done deal at this point. Now, the interesting thing here is that the Taika Waititi movie is going to be going forward and he might actually be starring in it himself. So let's take the ball and run with that for a second. We've seen Taika Waititi be very good in a lot of things, not just in front and behind the camera, but in front of it as well. He's definitely a talented actor and he definitely has the ability to have a role in a Star Wars movie. Now, is it going to be the role that, like the title role? Is he going to be playing the main character? And there's some rumblings that there's yes and there's no, but he's certainly capable of being in this movie and being in the Star Wars universe. I'm a little surprised that Lucasfilm and, and Disney and everybody that this is the decision that they're making. And I know Taika's you know award nominated and all of these things, but after how Thor: Love and Thunder went. I'm a, I'm a little surprised that you're handing the ball to Taika Waititi and saying, yeah, here you go, Star Wars, and go. Now, will they, you know, kind of keep the leash on him like they did with Ragnarok? And that worked out really well. Maybe they learned their lesson there not to have him, let him have, you know, super complete or almost complete control of a movie. So maybe they'll understand that and kind of, you know, gatekeep things a little bit for his Star Wars movie. And they, and they should based on those based on what happened. But at the same time, I, I wonder what kind of a Star Wars movie this is going to be. And I've always wondered that from the beginning, what on earth kind of Star Wars movie is this going to be? And it's going to, it seems like, at least on the surface, it's going to be very different from any other Star Wars movie that we've seen before. Now, do we have to have the same formula for Star Wars every time? No, we really don't. But it would have been nice to see Rogue Squadron get off the ground. I think that that would have been a really good, really fun movie, especially... You know, Top Gun Maverick being so successful, you could have a Top Gun-esque kind of Star Wars movie. I think that would have worked really well. And Kevin Feige's name speaks for itself. But maybe Kevin's just too busy with everything that's going to be going forward in the next three phases of Marvel Studios. And, the, you know, this, the, the time commitment wasn't there to, to, to do the movie justice. And you got to walk away from it on both sides at some point. So I'm very curious to see what we're going to find out at Star Wars Celebration, how much of this is confirmed how much we're going to find out about what Taika's movie is going to be about. But I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Let's just put it that way. We had a couple of really fun trailers drop this week. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. We finally got a trailer for that animated movie from Paramount Pictures and Nickelodeon movies. And it looks so much fun. It really, really does. If you want to look at the full cast, by the way, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. I've got a full page for the Ninja Turtles movie on there. But what we're getting basically 
it seems like we're getting year one turtles. And what I mean by that is they're not necessarily crime fighters yet. They're just teenagers having fun, you know, training under Master Splinter, things like that. And then they see crime in the city and they sort of, you know, decide to eventually pick things up and, you know, start dealing with the crime that's in the city. And it just, the animation looks so clean, so incredible. I mean, it just has that crisp vibe to it as far as the animation goes. The humor really, really lands for me. I think it's one of those, it's it's hard to get humor that's going to be good for adults and kids that's not, you know, pushing the line a little bit. But I laughed at least twice during this trailer, and I usually don't laugh at trailers, especially if they're not necessarily meant to be comedies. But I love the design of the turtles. I thought they really got that right. Bebop and Roxy look incredible. Incredible in this trailer. I thought Splinter's design looked fun. I'm not going to get into the April O'Neil mess. I'm just not. If you're upset because of how April O'Neil looks, then you're ridiculous. And by the way, are you really watching a Ninja Turtles movie or any Ninja Turtles, anything in any capacity because of April? Probably not. Is she one of your characters that you might really like? Yeah. But if you're watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for April and not the turtles themselves, then that's a whole other discussion that we need to have. But it just looks really fun to me. I can't wait to see how this is going to go. I think it's really smart that they're switching gears and talking about animation now instead of live action for Ninja Turtles. I just think that's the way to go for these movies going forward. And I hope that that's something that we'll see more of. We'll find out how this one's going to go this August in theaters. Did you know the Russo brothers have a new series that's coming to Prime Video called Citadel? We know that's going to be happening on April the 28th. First couple of episodes going to premiere then, and then it'll be weekly after that. We finally got a trailer for that. And basically, it's a story of a spy agency that wasn't really attached to any country. They kind of get taken down from the inside, by the way. They got betrayed by one of their own. And then a couple of the best agents, Mason Kane and Nadia Sin, are kind of just, they had the memories wiped, and they don't know what's going on. So it's, you know, it's your basic spy story. But then you've got Richard Madden and Priyanka Chopra Jonas in this movie playing the two roles of the elite agents. And you could just see their chemistry in this trailer is instantly incredible. And then you've got Stanley Tucci, by the way, who's one of the people that does remember this, does remember Citadel and kind of tries to help them, remind them who they are sort of thing. And it's like, hey, if you don't remember who you are, the whole world's going down. So, you know, you better figure it out. You know, snap your fingers, snap out of it. And then, you know, you see, like, people skiing and shooting guns and all kinds of action and stuff like that in the trailer. And, yeah, it looks like it's going to be pretty great. This is what the Russo brothers do. They do shows like this. They do movies like this. And they use not necessarily the same formula every time, but a similar formula. And it just works. It looks great. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I think the action is going to be great. I think I love that this is going to be a series instead of a movie. I think it's going to allow them to kind of stretch the story out just enough to give us a lot more depth here. So I think that this one looks really, really good. I'm excited for Citadel coming at the end of April to Prime Video, and I really, really hope it's as good as it looks in the trailer. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my many, many guests for joining me this week. If you want any more detail on us, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Subscribe, by the way, wherever you listen to your podcast as well. It really, really helps out the show. Also, make sure you find us on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, at downandnerdy on Facebook, and at downandnerdypod 
on TikTok, always having fun with you there and just, you know, keep interacting with us. We love how I love how you interact with me on social media and on TikTok as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.